Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Up next, this looks like the work of professionals. What they have here is a cold-blooded murder. But who puts out a hit on a deeply religious suburban housewife? Nobody had any answers. People were really frightened. Investigators have little to work with until a scratchy video and a handwritten note tell the story of why this victim was targeted. They wanted to control that person. They wanted to control their plan. It looked like a fairy tale romance. George and Gail Fulton met at a Catholic youth group when they were in high school and had been together ever since. George Fulton was, in many ways, the all-American dad. West Point graduate. They have three kids. They begin this classic American family, white picket fence life. After years as military nomads, the Fultons settled in Lake Orion, Michigan, a quiet suburb about an hour north of Detroit. The Fultons looked like the perfect family. He was a retired army major. They lived in a very nice home. They belonged to the local Catholic church. George was starting up his own consulting business. Gail worked at the local library. On an October night in 1999, Gail and co-workers closed up the library at about 9 o'clock. About 20 minutes later, two fellow librarians who were running behind saw what they thought was a pile of clothing in the parking lot. So as a librarian comes upon this bunch of clothing, she realizes, that's Gail Fulton, one of my co-workers. And she gets down on her knees, and there's a pool of blood around Gail and she's still breathing. The co-workers were horrified. Gail Fulton had been shot. Paramedics couldn't save her. Police on the scene were baffled. There seemed to be no motive for this murder. Was it robbery? No. They found a purse and her ID at the scene. Was she sexually assaulted? No. Was it a carjacking? Obviously not. So how many other choices do we have? The initial canvas of the scene prompted even more questions. Someone had slashed the tires on Gail's car. So what it looks like now is Gail Fulton got in the vehicle, started it up, maybe started to drive, realized she had a flat, got out to look at it in the back, and somebody came upon her and murdered her. Police were coming to a disturbing conclusion. It looked like Gail's killer slashed her tires to keep her from driving away, which meant this was no random act. Gail Fulton appeared to be the target 
of what looked like an execution-style murder. Police were just completely perplexed by this. It was like a mafia hit. They had no idea where to go to try to figure out who would have done this. Whoever killed Gail apparently knew where she'd be and when she'd be there. They knew the parking lot was isolated. No shell casings or any other physical evidence were left at the scene. This appeared to be the work of professional killers. But that theory, with this victim, made no sense. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, Priceline. In the murder of Gail Fulton, as in almost all murders, investigators turned immediately to the people closest to the victim. You have to start there at the marriage. So when you build a house, you don't start on the roof. You start at the foundation. And that's what the law enforcement did. They started with her husband. At the moment of his wife's murder, George Fulton was at home, on the phone. A fact confirmed by his 17-year-old son. So he was eliminated as the shooter. But that didn't mean he was cleared. When investigators first come into contact with George Fulton, they're kind of like, whoa, what's going on here? He doesn't seem all that upset. He's not asking a lot of questions. He's standoffish. He's a bit combative even. Like, are you accusing me? And he doesn't want to offer much help. But George soon admitted that the appearance of his perfect marriage was a sham and had been for years. George spoke with the police and told them that he had been having an affair with a woman in Florida. He didn't try to hide it. George's mistress, was Donna Trapani, a 43-year-old registered nurse who owned her own extremely successful home healthcare business. In what seemed more than a coincidence, a dive into their phone records showed George and Donna were on the phone together at the exact moment Gail Fulton was shot. You had George on one end of the phone and Donna on the other, so gosh, neither one of us could have done this to Gail. So it sounds really good in paper, in theory. George, who admitted Gail knew of the affair, said he'd recently ended it and was trying to save his marriage. Detectives weren't so sure. There's only three motives behind every murder. Love, money, revenge. 
look, that's the mindset walking into a crime like this. It has to be if you're an investigator. Even though the lovers, whether they were ex-lovers or not, were alibied, the possibility of a murder for hire was very real. And it was amplified after investigators got a break of sorts. Gail's library had a surveillance camera. It took quick shots at one-second intervals. The image quality was poor. The video camera in the parking lot of the library was able to record in a kind of grainy way what took place. There was no sound, so they weren't able to hear any conversation or any the sound of the shots. These images confirmed detectives' initial theory that this was a hit. You see on the camera, she comes out and gets in her car. She realizes that there's a problem with the tire. She gets out, a car pulls up, a man gets out of the car and shoots her three or four times and she falls and dies there in the parking lot. The car was identified as a Chevy Malibu. It had a broken back taillight on the right side. It wasn't possible to make out the color or the license plate, but investigators were at least able to say how many people participated in Gail's murder. So when they were looking at the surveillance video and they see these three shadows, they obviously observed the one doing the shooting. And then when he got back into the car, by the video, they were able to determine that one of those silhouettes was a female. But that's all they could tell. And they couldn't determine anything about the two people who were with the unidentified woman. They had the killers on tape, but had no way to identify them. More detectives learned about the long-time affair between George Fulton and Donna Trapani, the stranger the story seemed. At one point, George abandoned his family and moved to Florida to be with Donna. Despite everything, George's wife, Gail, stood by her man. Gail was very devout in her Catholicism. I think that she loved George despite the philandering. And I think she thought that if she just held on long enough, she could put her life back together. One year before the murder, Gail's prayers were finally answered, or appeared to be. George said he broke off the relationship with Donna. George decided that, hey, I better go home and square up with my wife, Gail, and uh, clean up my act. But as his case progresses, it appears that it didn't sit too well with Donna Trapani. Four months after that breakup, Donna Trapani reached out to George with some stunning news. She told him she had terminal cancer. And that wasn't all. George is told by Donna that she's pregnant. So what does he do? He has Donna come up to Michigan and he puts Donna in a hotel. And then what does he do? He drives Gail over to the hotel and says, I need you and Donna to meet and to talk. I need my wife to meet my pregnant mistress in a hotel room and have a conversation. Now, what good could come out of that? I don't know. 
This meeting took place over the July 4th weekend. Gail met with Donna alone and left the meeting in tears. But, true to character, she was determined to do the right thing. So these three people are going to be adults and work this out. And Gail and George are going to raise this baby once Donna dies. Incredibly, after the meeting, George spent the night with Donna while his long-suffering wife went home alone. George Fulton treated Gail Fulton like shit. That's all over this story. Because he knew that she would stand behind him because of her faith, because of her values. He knew he wouldn't lose her unless he wanted to. George was unfaithful but not dumb and soon suspected Donna's pregnancy story was a lie. So he did some sleuthing of his own and discovered there was no pregnancy. When George finds out that Donna's been lying to him, that she's not pregnant, it's over. And it's over for good now, Donna. Well, I think that's the cliff. And George pushed Donna over it. For detectives, the pieces of this murder, at least as far as motive, were falling into place. But they couldn't prove anything. And they still hadn't found a way to identify the three people in the so-called murder car. As for Donna Trapani, she had a possible motive, but that was about all. Donna Trapani, on face value, she seemed like she was pretty legit. She wasn't like you ran her name up and she was in prison for 10 years or she was a drug dealer or she was burglar. I mean, she didn't have any of those things that jumped out at you. Then, six weeks after the murder, detectives got a call from a man in Florida named Todd Franklin that upended their investigation. He hears about this crime that happened up in Lake Orion, Michigan. Short-haired blonde woman. Well, his girlfriend, Sybil Pageant, is a short-haired blonde woman, and now Todd Franklin recalls her asking him if he knew anybody who could do a hit. Todd Franklin did, and directed Sybil to an old friend. And so Todd says, yeah, I can give you this guy, Kevin Olette. I met him in prison. He's a badass. I'm sure he'd do it. Enough money, he'd do anything. Todd Franklin's story was remarkably consistent with the library surveillance video and contained details not released to the general public. That one phone call now sets an evidence chain of dominoes into motion. Detectives finally had some direction in the case, but the only person who seemed to have a motive was Donna Trapani. And now detectives discovered a connection between Donna and the killers. Sybil Paget was a nurse who was working for Donna Trapani. With this news, Michigan detectives were on their way to Florida. Upon arriving in Florida, Michigan detectives went to Sybil Paget's home. In her driveway was a green Chevy Malibu. And they saw damage to the taillight of, of the particular vehicle, which is another good clue. 37-year-old Sybil was brought in for questioning and folded within minutes. 
Sybil is very distraught. She's blaming Donna. She explains how Donna roped her into it. She said she was gonna turn me in for smoking pot. If he didn't do what? If I didn't go kill Gail. And she said she was gonna take my babies from me and I'd never see them again. A search of Sybil's home turned up a map of Lake Orion with key locations, like the Fulton home and the local library, circled. Critically, there was a handwritten note with Gail Fulton's work schedule and a photograph of Gail. Clearly, if you're going to kill somebody, you need to know what they look like. Detectives now questioned Donna Trapani at her home. She flat out denied any involvement in Gail's murder. She was also sticking to her story that she was soon going to give birth to George Fulton's child. But alert detectives noticed something not quite right about Donna's baby bump. They're watching her sit on the couch, and the cat jumps up on her stomach. And it's clear that this is not your standard pregnancy. The indentation of the cat is left on her belly. So the police are like, this is even weirder than we thought. What Donna has done is placed a bunch of placemats up inside of her blouse in order to appear to be pregnant. But police still needed something more conclusive. Sybil Paget told them Donna hired her and told her to hire the killers. Those men, Patrick Alexander and Kevin Olette, confessed to the same story. But Donna wasn't budging. So detectives turned to the handwritten materials Sybil said were given to her by Donna. Donna's fingerprint was on one of the documents. But since she worked with Sybil, a good defense lawyer could explain this away. The handwriting, however, was another matter. The best thing that we can say about handwriting identification is handwriting does not take a side. I'm not for or against anyone. Handwriting is handwriting. A person's handwriting is almost as distinctive as a fingerprint. Handwriting is something most of us learn as children. Personal quirks appear in everyone's writing and are almost impossible to disguise or imitate. Handwriting is brain writing. So you look for the unique characteristics that a person's brain impulse down to the hand and would actually put together to create a writing, a word, a letter, or something like that. Ruth Holmes compared samples of Donna Trapani's known handwriting, which came from love letters she sent to George Fulton, to the handwritten note laying out Gail's work schedule. Numerous letters showed nearly identical construction between both sets of handwriting samples. For example, the capital letter E in the question document was consistent with the capital letter E in Donna's known writing. The capital letter A from the question document was consistent with the capital letter A in Donna's known writing. The letter R was consistent in both sets of documents, as was the capital letter L. These were among at least a dozen letters that were consistent across all the writing samples submitted for analysis. In this case, it was an identification. We weren't authenticating a check or anything like that. We were identifying if a particular person who wrote this is the same person who wrote that. Donna was confronted with the evidence against her, including the murder team's confessions. 
She still denied any involvement. No. What person do you think killed him? I don't know. Drug addict, alcoholic, a criminal. I can't think of anybody that would want her dead. The night she was killed, Gail followed her routine to the letter. She got in her car, but because her tires had been slashed, thought she had a flat. As she exited the car, Kevin Olette walked up and fired three execution-style shots. Afterward, the killers disappeared, or thought they did. They didn't know they'd been caught on a security camera. That tape later matched up perfectly with the tipster's story to the police, and soon the plot unraveled. So one lie leads to the next lie, leads to the next lie, which leads to what? Murder for hire. And Donna Trapani is at the top of it. At trial, Donna took the stand and insisted she had no connection to the murder. Donna, did you hire anyone to kill Gail? No, I did not. Did you want Gail dead? No, I did not. The judge wasn't buying her story. This was a horrible, despicable crime. The defendant claimed she is not guilty. The jury did not believe her, and neither do I. In January of 2001, Sybil Paget, the woman who assembled the murder team, was sentenced to life without parole. The shooter, Kevin Olette, got the same sentence. Patrick Alexander, a friend of Sybil's who was in on the plot from the start, got 23 to 40 years. In December of 2000, Donna Trapani was found guilty of first-degree murder and also got life without parole. George Fulton, who had been cleared of any involvement by police, testified at Donna's trial and told the jury of the sordid affair that led to the murder of his wife, a woman who was willing to, and did, stand by him till the bitter and bloody end. There was a lot of victims in this case. I mean, unfortunately, Gail was the victim, the main victim. It was a rock-solid case. I've covered a lot of these things, and this one was like slam dunk. The forensics in this case brought together the entire prosecution's case. Forensic science doesn't lie. People can lie, forensic science cannot. 